Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. The Matrix is a computer-generated dream world built to keep us under control in order to change a human being. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on Ping.tv. Join the discussion at Ping.tv slash gold. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Dustin Gold with the Dustin Gold Standard right here on pain.tv slash gold. So yesterday, folks, we started to delve deep into the metaverse, and we were watching a video from the World Economic Forum, a panel discussion from May 2022 on the metaverse, featuring a woman who comes from a company that makes these virtual reality headsets, uh, a governmental representative from the United Arab Emirates, who is in charge of their metaverse governance, a gentleman from Meta, that is Facebook, talking about their involvement in building their metaverse, and then a final gentleman who was the creator of Second Life, one of the most popular uh, second worlds, immersive worlds, uh, and the first, sort of the first company to do that type of thing. And we're going to jump right back into this, folks, uh, except I want to share something that I promised one of the listeners over at pain.tv slash gold who wrote me a comment and asked me to talk a little bit more about the fake meat that is out there. So what I'm going to do, uh, I'm just going to spend this one segment on this. I have probably 10 or 15 hours of research and investigation into this topic myself personally. So I'm going to just break it down um, and then eventually we'll do another show on this. I'm trying to find a guest who is more of an expert in this area because it is a bit confusing. So as far as in this fake 
meat world, this fake meat industry. And there are a number of uh, startup companies, people of uh, companies that are already in multiple rounds of funding. But just in general, let's talk about the different types of fake meat that are out there. First, you have what is called plant-based meat and that is basically the impossible burger beyond burger things of that nature that you've probably seen at the grocery store and feel free to go check this stuff out yourself go over to the gluten-free area or the healthy area or whatever and start looking in the freezers and you will see for instance Wegmans the grocery store about 15 minutes from me has an entire aisle uh, two freezers uh, going all the way down each side of the aisle and there's everything from plant-based burgers to plant-based chicken to plant-based bacon and a lot of this stuff is made with soy and so i've got a couple articles up here on the screen there's a good source here it's gfi.org which is the good food institute which frankly to me is the bad food institute but they call it the good food institute and so first let me just go over the type so you have the plant-based meat products all right. Then you have 3D printed, uh, what they call 3D printed meat substitutes, but it's 3D printed plant-based meat. So they 3D print things like burgers and strips of bacon and such using the various plant-based concoctions, blends, so that the bacon actually looks like bacon. Okay, so you have plant-based meat products. So like if you had a Impossible Burger, Beyond Burger, or a plant-based ground beef or something, or plant-based ground um, sort of uh, like shredded uh, beef or something like that. Okay, then you have the 3D printed plant-based meat. So that is actually printed with a 3D printer so that it physically looks like, and in some cases has the texture of the original meat. Now, both of those are available on store shelves as far as I could see pretty much worldwide, okay? Then you have what they call cultivated meat. And cultivated meat is lab grown meat and we'll get a little more into this in a second but basically you have this cultivated meat that is meat that is grown in a lab using animal cells okay instead of raising and slaughtering and uh, our friends like peter thiel bill gates and others are involved pretty much from my research in all of these different genres within the fake meat industry so you have cultivated meat Okay, and then you have, and also I see they call it cultured meat sometimes, all right, so cultivated and cultured are basically lab-grown, and then they have what is this um, 3D printed cultured meat or cultivated meat, so then they take the stem cells, the other animal cells that they're utilizing, and they'll actually print meat like, say, a ribeye steak, a T-bone, a Boston butt roast, um, you know, a New York strip, what have you, out of this lab animal cell made meat. And so right now, as far as I could see in my research, they admit to this being in stores in Singapore. I'm talking about the cultured meat being in stores in Singapore. Now, 
we'll get into a little more detail here in a second on this because it, it is confusing and the information is pretty dis, disjointed right now. But apparently what's going on in the United States and Europe is they are getting ready to pass laws to allow these companies to bring the product to shelf. Now, I found an article, this was about a week ago when I mentioned it in another show, saying that there was a couple of EU countries that were already selling the cultured meat, the actual animal cell meat, on store shelves. Now, for some reason, I had an issue finding that. So, but but someone had asked me, did I see it on the shelves in Poland? No, I did not see it there. But there was a farmer who I spent a few hours with who told me that that kind of stuff is available. Now, do I know for sure? No. But here's the issue that I have right now. What I'm trying to locate, and I don't really want to spend, you know, 100 hours of my own time doing this because... Even though this is very important, there's more important stuff that I have to research and cover here on the show. If anyone has gone through any of the, I don't know, congressional committee hearings, uh, any type of stuff like that where they've debated or talked about, in particular, this lab-grown meat, that's what I'm interested in. Because the plant-based meat you will find in those health food aisles like i told you and as of right now at least they label them as plant-based vegan um you know uh, they're really promoting it to the soy boy types who like to eat this kind of stuff so that's out there uh we see the brands right on there so you know that it's plant-based if you're reading the label with the lab-grown meat, the cultured meat, the cultivated meat, I am not sure if when it comes out, or in my opinion it could be out, I just don't know if they're going to have to label it because based on everything that I've seen, the elites, those in charge of laws and regulations the people with the power and influence behind this actually say it's no different than meat because they're growing the same muscle that would be in a real cow, a real pig, a real chicken, or what have you. So that is where it gets a little confusing for me because I'm not positive uh, if that stuff is going to hit the shelves and just be placed right in the meat aisle. You know, mixed in with meat that comes off of a cow or a pig or a chicken. I don't know. And so if any of you have any information about that, you know any guests who are experts in this, you've read any congressional, you know, committee hearings or such about this, any government papers, you know, please feel free to send that to me at gold at pain.tv. I'd appreciate that. So back up on the screen here, just to clarify, we have uh, GFI.org, that's the Good Food Institute, and this is uh, plant-based meat. And it says here, this is your guide to plant-based meat, explore GFI's tools tools, resources, events, and expert analysis of the plant-based meat field from science and technology to policy and markets. 
So if you want to learn more about this stuff, even though I consider these people to be my enemy because they're pushing it forward, this is where you're going to get the answers, gfi.org. And so let's just read this quickly. What is plant-based meat? Plant-based meat is produced directly from plants instead of relying on an animal to convert uh to convert plants into meat, we make more meat more efficiently by skipping the animal and turning plant ingredients directly into meat. Like animal-based meat, plant-based meat is comprised of protein, fat, vitamins, minerals, and water. Next-generation plant-based meat looks, cooks, and tastes like convenient meat, and eventually they'll probably be packing it with crickets. So there's some sections here on this page. Where does plant-based meat fit in the alt protein landscape why is plant-based meat important what needs to be done to advance plant-based meat so again um, they have a lot of resources on here here's a section on this page the science of plant-based meat uh, discover plant-based meat research projects plant-based meat is rapidly growing market sector Uh, And then they have other resources here. So if you want to learn more about plant-based meat, go to gfi.org forward slash plant dash based forward slash. Okay. Now, uh, let's go to the next one. This is the 3D printed meat substitutes make splash in Europe. And this is from greekreporter.com. And this is from March 2022. It says, already massive food industry is expected to get even larger. The data firm Allied Market Research says that the meat substitute market is expected to reach $8.1 billion with a B by 2026. And so this goes into what I mentioned before, Impossible Burger. And it says here they're bringing the Impossible Burger to... uh, uh, supermarkets it's available as an impossible whopper at burger king and as we read the other day burger king's making moves to become the first burger joint that does not serve real meat but in this article it says here 3d printed whole cuts of meat now the israeli-based startup redefined meat is upping the ante bringing 3d printed meat substitutes to markets throughout europe the company which was founded in 2018 had 10 employees in 2019 with a first round of seed funding now in 2021 that's just two years later it has 100 employees and it says right here redefined meat boasts five product variations in ground meat substitutes including burgers and sausages but perhaps its greatest endeavor of all is whole cuts of plant-based meat alternatives such as hanger steaks and skewers so what they're doing there like i said they're taking the plant-based concoction and they're 3d printing it so that they could make it look and have the texture of make it look like and have the texture of hanger steaks and skewers and such so that is the 3d printed plant-based meat now when we get into the cultivated meat again i'm back on gfi now i'm on gfieurope.org forward slash cultivated dash meat forward slash it says here cultivated meat your guide to the science business and policy of cultivated meat in europe and it says what is cultivated meat cultivated meat is exactly the same as beef pork chicken and seafood people enjoy eating today but grown directly from animal cells instead of raising and slaughtering animals you see so they're saying it's exactly 
the same thing. And that's what leads me to believe that when it hits store shelves, they might be able to get away with not labeling it and telling you that it was grown in a lab. It says here, why do we need cultivated meat? Compared with conventional meat production, cultivated meat has the potential to be far less resource intensive, decreasing methane emissions uh, from the cow farts, deforestation, biodiversity loss, water use, water pollution, antibiotic resistance, and foodborne illnesses. Okay, it says right here, a recent study by CE Delft, the first ever to be based on data from cultivated meat companies, found that compared with farming animals, cultivating meat from cells could, could, doesn't say does, says could, cut the climate impact of meat by up to 92%. Well, what is the climate impact of meat? Reduce air pollution by up to 93%. Really? Use up to 95% less land. Use up to 78% less water. So this is how they're pitching this idea of cultivated meat. Folks, I'm going to finish this up and we're going to move back into the metaverse uh, shortly. When we come back from the break, I'll finish up on cultivated meat. I will explain uh, cultured meat and then we'll explain the 3D printed meat. And then that way, hopefully I answer the question. As I told you guys, if you have questions out there in the audience, feel free to contact me at Twitter at Hackable Animal or at Dustin Gold Show or at pain.tv slash gold. I believe my handle there is at gold as Commander Payne said it up or you can email me gold at pain.tv and hopefully i will be able to answer your questions ladies and gentlemen we get back let's delve into cultured meat while i'm on the break please enjoy a 3d printed t-bone ladies and gentlemen i am dustin gold this is the dustin gold standard and you're listening to pain.tv slash gold you're listening to the dustin gold standard on pain.tv Join the discussion at pain.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on pain.tv. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Dustin Gold. You're listening to pain.tv slash gold. And this is the Dustin Gold Standard. Ladies and gentlemen, We are talking about the fake meat industry, so let me pull this website right back up because we have a lot to cover today. So I just want to read you, again, this is at uh, gfieurope.org forward slash cultivated dash meat. And it says right here, how is cultivated meat made? And this is probably what you'd like to know. Cultivating meat is similar to growing plants from cuttings in a greenhouse, which provides warmth, fertile soil, water, and nutrients. The new method of meat production enables the natural process of cell growth, but in a more efficient environment. And as you can see right there, they said the new method. So again, like everything else, they are pushing this forward. It says cellular agriculture involves taking a small, harmless sample of cells from an animal 
and growing them in what is known as a cultivator. The cultivator facilitates the same biological process that happens inside an animal by providing the cells the warmth and the basic nutrients needed to transform into meat, water, proteins, carbohydrates, fats, vitamins, and minerals. The result is an abundance of cultivated meat, identical to conventionally produced meat at the cellular level, but made in a more sustainable way. So, as I've explained a couple of times here, and this is my opinion, my opinion and my fear is that they will end up putting this on store shelves without actually labeling it or telling you because if they can convince, if this industry can convince or bribe or pay off, however you look at it, it's all the same thing, the governments, then they may just allow it to go on store shelves as if it's meat, especially if they are trying to propagandize us into believing that it is the same thing as having a steak that comes off of a slaughtered cow. Okay, one more section here, and then we're going to move on. It says, uh, when will cultivated meat be available in Europe? It says here on uh, December 2nd, 2020, Singapore became the first country in the world to approve cultivated meat for sale, and people can now order cultivated chicken via a food delivery app. Okay, so you see, as I mentioned, it is for sale in Singapore. You can order it through an app. Now, I have not further investigated this myself. I don't know if people know that it's cultivated. Um, If they just think they're ordering regular chicken, I'm not sure. If you guys know more about this, again, hit me up. If you've studied it, feel free to reach out. I'd love to have you on to explain it in more depth than I can at this point. Uh, It goes on to say, the fact that cultivated meat has passed this rigorous approval process shows that it will be part of a safe and sustainable food future. But it is likely to be some years before people in Europe are able to buy cultivated meat from the supermarket, and how soon that happens will depend on how much governments invest in open access research. Okay, so as I mentioned, I saw an article a few days ago. I am 100% positive of this. Unfortunately, I did not save it as a PDF, and it had said there were a couple of EU countries where it was already on the shelves. I will keep digging for that in my free time, and I will find it. Um, It says here, before a cultivated meat product can be sold in Europe, it needs to be approved by regulators. In the EU, once regulators approve a cultivated meat product, it can be sold sold across all 27 EU countries. The approval process will include a thorough and evidence-based assessment of the safety and nutritional value of cultivated meat and is estimated to take at least 18 months. It says right here, many other European governments have similar regulatory frameworks in place for the assessment and authorization of cultivated meat. Now, what I will tell you, another thing I learned while I was in Poland and I was with a farmer, um, it's a fourth generation farm. It's uh, my wife's uh, second cousin's farm. And so one of the things I had asked him was about how many of you have probably heard that in the EU, as the story goes here, they are not allowed to grow GMO foods. Well, apparently it's not the whole EU. It goes country to country. And then what he told me was that farmers like himself, which are small independent farmers, although when you go to his farm, it's fairly large, uh, he does not grow GMO corn or GMO wheat or GMO rapeseed and such. He grows natural, but what happens is he sells 
sells uh, to make a profit, he sells that to a big food processor, a food manufacturer, and then that stuff is mixed. Uh, his stuff is mixed with GMOs to basically cut it uh, in the manufacturing process. And so he said the farmers don't really have any control of that, nor do we know how it works. Now, while I was in Poland, I after having that conversation, I started doing some research and I found that there are certain large corporate farmers that can grow GMOs and they just need special licenses from the government. So just like here, it's a system of corruption. There's very little transparency. So you really don't know uh, what is being done, how much GMO is going into the foods. He also does the same thing where he sells his cow's milk, uh, you know, pure organic dairy milk. It gets loaded into a truck, like a tanker truck, and that's sold to a processor that makes cheese. So at that point, he said, you don't really know, you know, what's happening, but a lot of the big corporate processors are all tied in with the government. So you don't really know. Now, let me just pull up um, this other article on techcrunch.com. This is an article from actually today it says cultured meat startup prolific machines unveils its henry ford approach to cell growth and it says here the global cultured meat market is poised to reach half a billion dollars by 2030 however this kind of technology is still very much in the r&d phase for a lot of companies that have merged over the past five years it says cultured meat, also known as cultivated meat, as I explained, cultured meat and cultivated meat are the same. So you have plant-based meat, you have 3D printed, uh, printed plant-based meat, you have cultivated and cultured meat. Uh, is an animal meat, but instead of slaughtering the animal to get it, cells are collected from the animal and cultivated in a lab, as we explained with the last piece. Okay, so this goes on to say, we've seen a few cultured meat companies unveil their products. For example, Novel Farms has a pork loin, while Blue Seafood, a German company developing lab-grown seafood, debuted its first fish sticks and fish balls last month. Same for Dutch-based meatable with its sausages sci-fi foods with its burgers and chicken for upside foods however the manufacturing process for cultured meat has historically been quote both very difficult and very expensive end quote prolific machines co-founder and ceo dennis kent told TechCrunch, that's what his company is out to change quote you have to use these growth media proteins which are some of the most expensive things one of the proteins we are replacing is like thirty thousand times more expensive than a gram of gold end quote uh this gentleman went on to say it's really hard to scale anything for this reason because you have to use these proteins and so this company is working on building a more streamlined process and sort of taking this henry ford approach to the whole industry so if you want to read more about that i would google tech crunch and uh, cultured meat maybe prolific machines okay so as you see uh, one of the reasons why I always tell you this stuff is real, it's really going to be out there. There's people who say, stop paying attention to this, stop talking about it, stop giving them oxygen. Well, the thing is, it's happening. And if I don't talk about it, and others don't talk about it, and hopefully people that listen to the show don't spread this information to their friends and family, then no one will know about it. You're not giving them oxygen by talking about it. You're warning the folks out there that this might hit your store shelves, and you need to look 
look out for it or you need to figure out how to you know finagle your budgets at home so that you can buy meat directly from local farmers as we've been doing uh this year uh because when my wife got pregnant we said okay that's it we're not jerking around with the stores anymore we're going right to the source as close as we can get from local farmers who are doing uh you know have small cattle farms and such and so that's what we're doing here we're warning you hopefully educating you arming you with the resources you need to further investigate these stories that interest you more than others may so that you can take this information and share it with the people around you and you know as far as saying we're giving them oxygen well you can ignore it but then you're just putting your head in the sand like an ostrich maybe a 3d printed ostrich i don't know but that's what you're doing it's it's not going away because you close your eyes and hope that it goes away Okay, here's another article at foodprocessing.com. This is cultured meat is so close you can almost taste it. And this is for March 2022. It says some companies claim 2022 would be the year lab-grown meat becomes available for public consumption, but many are wondering if this be the year. That is written wrong, and that's not me. It says right here, rumor has it that a cultured seafood product, not a cultured meat, will likely be the first factory-grown animal food product approved for sale in the U.S. probably by the end of this year. And that's what I've been hearing and seeing from all the resources that uh, I look at. It says, uh, if indeed the petitioner, Blue Nalu, as is rumored, the product apparently will be a sushi-grade piece of bluefin tuna, a prized, pricey, and borderline endangered species in a uh, mercenary sense. That trio of attributes trumps even the animal welfare, environmental, and food and safety arguments for lab-grown meats. Approval from the Japanese and possibly South Korean governments should not be far behind, as San Diego-based Blue Nalu has a collaboration with food and life companies. The Japanese company both manufactures seafood products and operates more than 1,000 sushi restaurants in Japan, Korea, Taiwan, Hong Kong, Singapore, Thailand, and China. What an enthusiastic, numerous, and far-flung base on which to launch lab-grown fish. So they're talking about taking this into these sushi restaurants to begin to replace real fish and this article goes on to many many other examples and folks it's in my notes uh but i have so many shows that i have to do there's even important ones like going back and looking at henry kissinger's 1970s depopulation plan that i haven't gotten to because the tech of the future is so rapidly advancing i'm just trying to keep up with that and i'm recording one sometimes two shows a day plus i have to do all the research and pull all the sources so hopefully i'll be able to go back and we can do another show all on fake meat but let me hit on this one so this is 3d printing meats in the largest cultured steak ever made and this is from december 2021 in uh, id uh techx.com that's i-d-t-e-c-h-e-x.com and it says recently israeli bioprinting company mayatech 3d limited announced that it su succeeded in printing a 104 gram that's a 3.67 ounce about the size of a filet mignon cultivated steak using their proprietary uh, proprietary 3d printing technology made of real 
cultivated fat and muscle cells, the steak is believed to be the largest cultured steak ever produced to date. The achievement represents another step on the road to mass production of cultured meat, an important goal to combat climate change. Okay, so that's what we just outlined for you. So I hope we cleared this up. We have plant-based fake meat, which is made from soy and, you know, mash. Then you have the 3D printed plant-based meat so they could print it into objects. Then you have the cultivated slash cultured meat, which is the lab-grown meat using animal cells. And then you have the 3D printed cultivated slash cultured meat, which allows them to now take this these cells and form them into t-bone steaks and other things by printing them and so as of right now we know the plant-based meat is pretty much everywhere in the world the 3d printed plant-based meat is pretty much everywhere in the world the cultivated cultured meat is for sale in singapore uh, questionably in some countries in the eu and then it's on its way here to the united states and the european union as a whole and then the 3d printed meat will be right in there with it because that's just another way to form those cell structures into what looks like real meat so just you keep your eyes out for this stuff folks again if you have an expert uh, if you've studied this yourself if you come across any government documents on this feel free to send them my way i am more than interested to read them to interview people about this and to cover this topic further ladies and gentlemen i'm going to take a quick break and eat myself a plant-based 3d printed chicken nugget ladies and gentlemen i'm dustin gold this is the dustin gold standard and you're listening to pain.tv slash gold you're listening to the dustin gold standard on pain.tv join the discussion at pain.tv slash gold You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on Pain.tv. Ladies and gentlemen, I am Dustin Gold. This is the Dustin Gold Standard. You're listening to Pain.tv slash gold. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I hope... I hope your stomach is full because we just got done with that fake meat. And um, it's interesting stuff, folks. But some of this is hard to keep up with because the technology is constantly changing. It's very hard to get a handle on the regulations and laws that govern it. But again, if you know anyone who knows more about it, send them my way. I'd love to interview them. Okay, one other note here. Uh, I know that Joe Biden put out an executive order dealing with genetic modification and stuff. I have been in the process the last couple days because a good friend of the show sent it over to me right when it came out, and I have been reviewing it. It's lengthy. It's complex. I wish I had a scientist who would come on the show and review it with me, but I am in the process of putting a show together on that document where I am going to go down it and attempt to analyze it and connect it to what we've talked about in the first 30 episodes here at the Dustin Gold Standard. So don't worry, I'm on top of that. Hopefully we'll start to break that down on tomorrow's show and then we'll be looping back into 
paperclip operation paperclip i got to get back on track with that but i thought it was important to lay out the internet of everything and the metaverse for you before we got to paperclip and now this biden thing is sort of a pressing matter i don't generally respond to breaking news but because that document is right in our wheelhouse uh, i feel obligated to do it and it was interesting enough for me to actually stop some other things that i was doing to read it so don't worry we are on top of that many of you have sent it to me and i thank you very much okay first before we jump back into the wef panel discussion i mentioned yesterday that i would pull up some information for you and show you a few examples of these sort of modern current day metaverses that you could go into so this document here is at uh, it's M-E-T-A-M-A-N-D-R-I-L-L dot com. Metamandrel dot com. And they write about uh, its metaverse information. So the title of this is to experience the metaverse. And we probably are not going to go through this entire document because I want to jump over to the panel discussion. But it says here, metaverse virtual worlds are one of the most intriguing aspects of the digital domain. These custom-made realities serve as a whole metaverse world that you can explore, enjoy, and even help create. How fun! Of course, that comes with some complexity. But you'll soon see how you can get the most out of the virtual worlds and how the crypto world fits in. And uh, we will eventually break down uh, crypto and NFTs and such, but not in this show. It says here, Metaverse Virtual Worlds and the Metaverse as a whole. Metaverse Virtual Worlds are intriguing because they are a whole other reality. Each Metaverse world is something that you can step into with the right technologies these might be as we mentioned virtual reality goggles that fully immerse you in the world or it could be augmented reality goggles which we've talked about that overlay the metaverse onto the offline world we call that the real world but no matter how you look at it the metaverse contains countless virtual worlds to explore okay so let's skip past this because this is basically what we talked about yesterday and let's just go into this one what is a metaverse virtual world and this is just to clarify and build on what we've already discussed and reviewed metaverse virtual worlds often seem overly complex at first but a metaverse world or crypto world can be understood by simply learning about a few basic concepts the first is decentralization decentralization means that part Part of a metaverse world is built on blockchain technology, and we will eventually get into that as well. A single organization and individual control standard systems, but the blockchain is a system that sits independently of any central authority, and I would uh, argue against that. But everyone working with the blockchain essentially owns part of it. I would argue against that as well. The same goes for metaverse virtual worlds built with the blockchain. The use of the blockchain also explains why metaverse virtual worlds are often user-governed. Crypto worlds like Decentraland use decentralized autonomous organizations, and they're called DAOs, D-A-O-S, DAOs, to keep users in control of the more extensive system. A metaverse would also operate with provable 
uh, Providence. This is essentially thanks to the fact that they use NFTs, as you've learned about, non-fungible tokens. NFTs make it easy to prove the providence of user-generated content. Okay, it sounds complex, but we got it out there, and sometime next week we will revisit this, and we will start to break down these various components, the NFTs and the crypto and such. But what I wanted to give you here were some examples of metaverses that already exist. So it says here, what are the most significant metaverse virtual worlds? Uh, what are the most significant and exciting virtual worlds with these criteria in mind? There are a lot of different metaverse worlds to choose from, but the following metaverse virtual worlds are particularly noteworthy. And so we have uh, Decentraland. And Decentraland is one of the metaverse virtual worlds that emphasizes ownership. On the surface, it seems to be a vast virtual universe that fulfills most people's ideas about virtual reality. Decentraland is filled with lush forests, beautiful skies, thriving cities, and vast oceans. All of which are fake, obviously. Okay, just in case, just in case you're not following me. Uh, Decentraland also consists of individual virtual plots. Each plot is essentially its own metaverse world, because Decentraland is tied to the blockchain. Every new plot of land also becomes a crypto world, and this is also where Decentraland's emphasis on ownership comes in. Decentraland has. 90,601 plots of land in the form of land NFT. So the land itself is a non-fungible token. So this is what we've been talking about, that you could basically buy pieces of land, real estate, inside of the metaverse, as I explained Snoop Doggy Dog has done, and I explained that um, that company was at FBC Holdings, um, is building a store inside of one of these places called Sandbox. So it says, when you own land, you can also develop it however you like. Oh, gee, how nice of you. With the land estate feature, you can even merge multiple plots into a single whole, and groups with similar themes can be linked together as districts to form shared communities around a single shared theme. So there's literally people doing this sitting at home with a VR headset on, or in this case, I believe Decentraland is still two-dimensional, um, and they're in here building worlds you know building pieces of land instead of worrying about doing it um in the real world but some people will be content with sitting in a 400 square foot pod you know similar to a studio apartment you may have had in college or in your 20s you know so there's people now that are content with that and then they go into the metaverse to build out their dream property and they say that you're going to own it well you're going to own it okay well at the end of the day do i really own my website do i really own my twitter account my youtube account my facebook account no because you've seen those things be taken away from people on a daily basis so what happens when the investors from facebook twitter youtube and the rest of them uh, are invested in these companies, which they are, decide to enforce the same rules that they do when one day you wake up and your YouTube account with a million subscribers is just gone. They just take it from you. And so they're trying to say, well, they can't do that because it's on the blockchain. Oh, they can do it, folks. They control the internet. They control the system. They own the game. They can do it. Um, 
the next one is Horizon Worlds. So we have Decentraland, then we have Horizon Worlds. Uh, is a virtual reality experience provided by Meta, that is Facebook. It's one of the Metaverse virtual worlds that heavily emphasizes gaming. Users can easily create scripts to generate their own environments, and many of the people who do so have created fun, collaborative gaming experiences. Users have also created fun environments to just hang out. Wand and Broom, Mark's Riverboat, and Pixel Plummet are some of the most popular examples. However, Meta has also created a similar environment with their new 3v3 laser game called Arena Clash. So you see people are developing this. I'm going to move on now. There's Roblox. I've mentioned this one before. Roblox has a special place among Metaverse virtual worlds. It's often thought of as a game, but that's a vast oversight simplification. Roblox is instead a metaverse world focused on game creation. It's essentially a metaverse filled with user-made content. Much of this is indeed gaming content. What's unique about Roblox is that all games are made by users rather than the Roblox company. Roblox makes creating your own games easy, fun, and even potentially profitable. Roblox reports that an estimated 20 million games have been made within its uh, metaverse. So you have Decentraland, you have Horizon Worlds, you have Roblox. Now we have Somnium Space, a VR-based metaverse world that first launched in 2017. It consists of 5,000 land parcels, which all support full ownership. However, as with most metaverse virtual worlds, space for land is not limited. New land can be added to Somnium Space as needed. One of the system's most essential uh, points stems from the fact that it's tied to the blockchain. This makes it a full crypto world with each defined asset ownership. In fact, the system has a strong economy and a native ERC-20 token called Seminium Space Cubes. Cube tokens also make it easy to publish or buy avatars. These avatars are usable in a wide variety of other metaverses. So that's what we're talking about where uh, yesterday where you could port your avatar, eventually your mind twin over to other worlds. Okay, then there's Sandbox. You've seen this one come up. Uh, Sandbox began as a standard video game in 2012, but after... Uh, Amanaka Branda acquired the company in 2018. It shifted to a complete 3D environment. Users could now freely roam the world as a 3D sightseeing experience. This also marked it becoming a crypto world after uh, tying into blockchain. So as you can see, there's plenty of these out here. Here's another one. Crypto Voxels, uh, Break Room, Spatial, Gather, Second Life, Okay, so there's uh, what we named eight or ten different uh, metaverses that are currently out there. And so as they were discussing yesterday in the panel discussion at the World Economic Forum, they want this interoperable model in which all these metaverses will be connected so you can port your avatar into the different worlds and spend your crypto tokens in all the different worlds and everything will work in sync together and it will all follow the guidelines of an international governing body out here in the natural world in the real world that will have laws regulations taxes and such inside of the one mega one world government metaverse ladies and gentlemen i apologize that's so complicated but i hope you understand just think of it as you know 10 different video games you know mario uh pac-man 
Contra, all these different ones, and then they're just all combined together so you can bounce from world to world with the products you buy inside them and the tokens that you acquire within them. And then people can visit your property when they jump from Horizon Worlds over to Decentraland. And that is the ultimate goal. One never-ending world living inside the server computers owned by the technocrats and the transhumanists that are pushing us into their synthetic digital cyber prison. Ladies and gentlemen, I am Dustin Gold. This is the Dustin Gold Standard. You're listening to pain.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on pain.tv. Join the discussion at pain.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on Ping.tv. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I am Dustin Gold. This is the Dustin Gold Standard, and you're listening to Payne.tv slash gold. Ladies and gentlemen, I just gave you several examples of metaverse worlds that you could go check out, you can live in. You can move into whatever your little heart desires. But no, folks, if I were you, I would keep your children away from the metaverse. I would keep them off of Roblox. I would keep them off of Minecraft. I know it's difficult because they see their friends playing that stuff. Their friends are glued to their computers, to their VR headsets, to their television, you know, video game consoles. But you know what? I don't know. Maybe it's time to find them new friends that's just my opinion you do you you do what's best for you in your life but the only way to push the technocrats out of your life is to stay away from the technology that they are creating i mean that is really the only way to go about it so far so far but uh i have a guest who's going to be coming on soon to talk about how to insulate yourself uh in this world from some of the Things that are going to happen here in the natural world due to inflation and supply chain issues that are on the horizon, not horizon worlds, but on the actual horizon. So, folks, um, let's jump right back into this World Economic Forum panel discussion. I'm going to pick up exactly where we left off yesterday. If anyone missed it, you can go back and listen to episode 30. Here we go. Um, Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say new set of problems. One thing that we're realizing is when you... uh, put on the device and you go to reach for something, your eyes go there first and yeah. then your hand goes there. Yeah. And then when you have these different input moda- modalities, you can start to guess what the human's right. gonna do before they do it. And that's an area that we have to think about from yeah. a privacy situation. Mm, yeah. I wanted to, go ahead. I was just gonna say regarding, you know, I'd, I'd make maybe a, maybe a more controversial statement, which is, you know, Second Life's always sort of thought of itself as a kind of a, a new country. It was something that I often said when we were getting started. And I, I do think that while local, while local community uh, regulation is ultimately what we must build uh, in the metaverse, if we have any hope of having a billion people uh, regulate themselves as they do in the real world, I think that in the same way that the UN emerged, I bet you, that as these shared systems become more useful, say just for meetings, we will, uh, we will collapse to uh, a more singular set of rules, say around intellectual property or privacy. We, we can't do anything else. I mean, I think um, the efficiency will drive it. You- 
Okay, okay, so there you go. That's what we were reviewing yesterday. And I told you the eventual goal is sort of a one-world government within this um, sort of interoperable metaverse that they are building. And so their goal is to combine all the metaverses and then have one standard, uh, one set of laws, one set of rules. And so that's why you have the gentleman on the stage from the United Arab Emirates who's in charge of uh, metaverse projects for that country is they are getting the government structures and then the quote-unquote private sector technologists who are building this together. And you'd say, okay, why would governments be sitting on stage with and in meetings with and on committees and panels with technologists that are just building a video game, right? Would that make sense to you? that the governments now have to come in and create a set of laws inside of a video game as if the video game is reality. Well, that's the point I'm trying to make to you. These are the things that let you know that it is going to be your reality. This is going to be your life. That is the goal of all of this, to eventually corral us all into this synthetic world. And so, of course, the governments are going to be involved because they want a piece of the action in the long term they want power over the people whether it's you here in real life like me sitting here or it is my mind twin or my avatar the government wants a piece of that action they are the largest organized crime syndicate in the world uh no matter what country you're in that government is part of the international governmental structure so it's just different branches uh, of the major crime syndicate and so you see them sitting here and planning and discussing this because everyone wants a piece of the pie and if it was just a goofy little video game no one would really care it would not be profitable enough there's not really power or control over the people but that's what they're building they are building the synthetic prison world mention privacy and i want to talk about monetizing this world, because I think that's going to be a huge challenge. And maybe I'm maybe I'm going to stir this stir up this conversation in a moment. I'm going to read you something uh, that you said, Philip, uh, about uh, Mr. Cox's uh, company. You said if Facebook is successful at building a metaverse with behavioral ad targeting, it's just a very, very bad outcome. I think. Um, and it's not inevitable at all. There's lots of ways that this whole universe can be monetized. Uh, that may be one of them. Uh, but I'm curious how you think about those issues and all of the lessons, if, if there's been any lessons learned over your time at, sec at Second Life, but also in this new world, Chris, at, at Facebook, at so the social media universe that we're all uh, sure. living through, uh, data tracking. Uh, we've had a huge debate, as you very well know, because you've been at the center of it for the last decade, frankly. Yeah. You know, uh, I mean, restating that, what I said uh, and what I meant, um, you know, there are two companies worldwide that, uh, that have built uh, tremendous businesses just in the last 20 years, um, which in internet time, I guess, is most of it. But still, it's relatively new. And, and those two companies are Facebook, Meta, and uh, Google uh, that, that, that make money through advertising. The point I was making was if we move those models, which rely on making predictions about what you want and suggesting things to you and, and in some cases, I think, manipulating your behavior, um, yeah, I think it's a terrible risk. Uh, the good news is... Nobody actually has to go there, and I, I, would, I would imagine that uh, uh, you know Meta would also point out that it has you know different models for things. The model that has to work in the metaverse, in my opinion, is 
a transaction or a fees model rather than uh, an ads model. That, uh, and I, I definitely stand by, especially. So is that buying sector. digital goods and subscriptions? Is that? Yep. In a word, yes. Chris, is that? Is- okay, so in case, I mean, I'm pretty sure you guys understood that, but in case you didn't, what they're talking about is how to monetize, make money off of this uh, coming metaverse. And so right now they're debating. Um, for those of you that are not in the, the industry of, say, whatever, podcasting or content creation, so there's a few different ways you can monetize and make money off of your show, off of your content, uh, if you want to pay your bills and it's not just a hobby, one of which is an ad model, um, which you run advertisements. Let's say on this podcast, you will have a company that will insert ads, or if you get bigger, you can get... Um, endorsement ads where a company will pay you to talk about their product and i'd sit here and say my pillow is fantastic use my code over there at my pillow um or you would sit here and say cbd is awesome man i don't want to get high but i use cbd i rub it all over my knees and it makes them feel better okay so those are endorsement ads and then those ads that you hear that are just running those are just these plug-in ads and so you can make money that way off advertising as he's saying facebook and google makes money off advertising and then the other are subscriptions and uh, products so what he's talking about in the metaverse in the digital world is let's say you want to buy access to uh, decentraland uh, and that is whatever ten dollars a month and then within decentraland there's all that private quote-unquote private land somebody builds an amusement park and you want to gain access to that maybe you pay five dollars to get in or it's uh whatever four dollars a month and so you can pay for a subscription just like with netflix just like with hulu with amazon prime and such and then the other is selling products so out here in real life i might have you know t-shirts that i sell or coffee mugs or bumper stickers or whatever to generate revenue for myself well inside that world we talked about you'll be able to buy these non-fungible tokens in the form of you know a a t-shirt that you could put on your avatar a watch that i can see when i have my augmented reality glasses on it looks really cool i'm sitting in my living room my friends have their glasses they see the watch but i don't really have the watch it's just there digitally and so those are the products that they're talking about so you have advertising you have products and you have subscriptions okay is that the model you're you're i think i think you're gonna have both i think if you want free services at scale um, advertising is going to be the natural business model for it, just like it has for, you know, since print. Okay, so where he's talking about that, let me just clarify. If you want free services at scale, advertising comes into play. So on the free side of this podcast, there are ads that are inserted by the syndicator. All right. When you join pain.tv slash gold, which is the subscription, we put up the video version and that is ad free. So what this gentleman from Meta from Facebook is saying is that he believes within the metaverse, it'll be a mixture as it always has been of advertising to gain access to the free content. Or if you want ad free, you're going to pay for the subscriptions or the company providing that metaverse or that world within the metaverse will make money off selling you products um and if you're going to want more narrow services that can be ad free or offer other um sort of transactional uh, business models you're going to have subs you're going to have digital goods um 
I think much like on the internet, you're going to have trade-offs and you're going to want to offer a service that's good. Is there a way to do it where the user owns their own data? I mean, one of the sort of benefits of Web3, uh, some of the blockchain things that we've talked about that may exist in terms of layering on top of this, there's this idea that maybe you could own your own data and even maybe sell it to um, maybe a meta or to other... How do you see that? So first, the user should control Uh, Okay, so let me just pause there for a second because I want you to think about that for the moment. So right now what they're talking about, and this is a common running theme in these circles, and as they're presenting this to you, you've heard it come from Elon Musk, you've heard it come from other technocrats. In the future digital world or the fusion of the physical world, the natural world, and the digital world, the metaverse world, they are now talking about, again, they've created a problem. Okay, the data that you upload to Facebook, that you upload to Twitter, that you upload to Instagram, TikTok, Snapchat, that data, once it's uploaded, is owned by those companies. It is not owned by you. Facebook could technically take a photo of you and your child and use it in an advertisement. You do not get any commission, any royalty, any payment for that because you gave it to them. So they created this problem now where you're giving away your data and not just photos that you upload or thoughts that you write, but all your interaction within those systems within those worlds is all owned and controlled by them and so now they create the problem now the reaction is oh we lost our privacy we didn't realize that and then the solution now is they say well let's build a bigger badder world a bigger crazier world let's do a metaverse let's lay blockchain and they start talking about all this fancy technology and so then they say well can the user own their own data and so that's the solution now is going to figure out how you're going to own your own data and then what you're going to have to do folks is give up your biometric data to prove that it's you to own your data it's a giant trap i'm telling you think about it for a moment do these guys these technocrats these transhumanists have any any reason in the world to be concerned about you and whether or not you're going to own your own data or is that just a ploy to make you comfortable with giving all of your data to them in the first place think about that over the break ladies and gentlemen i am dustin gold this is the dustin gold standard and i'll be right back right here on pain.tv slash gold you're listening to the dustin gold standard on pain.tv Join the discussion at pain.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on pain.tv. Ladies and gentlemen, I am Dustin Gold. You're listening to pain.tv slash gold. And this is the Dustin Gold Standard. Ladies and gentlemen, over the break, I was just thinking for a moment. I'm going to launch a website where you guys can upload your social security numbers, your bank account numbers, routing numbers, logins and passwords to me. But in the end, trust me, folks, you're going to own your own data. You will own that data that you give to me. And don't worry, I will protect it. I mean, come on. That's what they're saying to you. All right, let's continue and see what they actually say about this. All their data. 
Um, so at any, any sort of combination of events, the user should have the ability to delete, to understand, and to have controls over how their data is used. The user should understand that having data aggregated means they can have a much more relevant service. I mean, the exchange of you can have ads that are relevant to you or ones that are, are generally irrelevant to you is an exchange that comes along with basically agreeing to have data collected in a privacy-safe um, and aggregated way. Right. Okay, see, so now he's saying, this is the guy from Facebook, and he's saying, listen, users need to understand that the more data you give us, then we can serve you better ads. So if you have a dog uh, that you really take care of and you like to buy your dog special food and special treats, you know, they can run those kind of ads to you instead of ads for you know, baby diapers if you don't have a baby. But to make that happen, folks, to make us serve you with more appropriate ads so you can buy more junk from us, then we're going to need to take more of your data. But don't worry, you eventually will have control over deleting it. Oh, it's all privacy safe. Nobody could get it. Well, they're getting it. The advertisers have access to it. You're uploading it into their system. Of course they have it, folks. Of course they have it. That's, that's what powers, they call this big data, the data that they're collecting on you. Let's say, just put it into context, like, let's say on each of us, they have a file, like an old police file, uh, a file that would be sitting on a judge's desk, okay? And it's a big file folder. Uh, I'm trying to put up my hands, but I'm in a small box. And that is, um, and that is, uh, you know, seven inches thick of data on you, of pages on you, a profile on you. Well, they have one of those on each and every one of us. And then when you stack those up and you put them inside of a server, then they have big data, all this data. And then they utilize algorithms, really programs, formulas to go through that data that then serves us this experience. So on your phone, you're supposed to get more relevant searches on Google or on Safari, um, depending on which phone you use, because of the data that it's all personalized. So eventually what happens is your data is literally creating sort of a choose-your-own-adventure echo chamber for yourself. And that's what they're talking about, access to all of this data to better serve you with a better, more personalized experience, better, more personalized advertisements and such. So they have control of the data, but they're saying that it belongs to you and you should be able to delete it if you want to. So but we all, and I'm here in Europe with all of you now, and we all just click on the accept, accept, accept the cookie. Yeah. And, and, and even though we well, now we have more, we now have more control. We ostensibly have more control, but in some ways we have less control because it's, it's very too complicated. It's too complicated to actually control. So, is there a way to change that dynamic? Okay, so let me just tell you, when I was in Poland, I saw that happen. Every website you went to, you're starting to see it more here in the U.S. It asks you if you're going to accept the cookies. When you're in Europe, you literally have to uh, accept a message overall about cookies when you're searching on Google. So literally every time you access the Internet, you have to do that. Now, part of that, in my opinion, um, because I've read a lot about this, is eventually what's going to happen. And this ties into Elon Musk and wanting to 
prove that people are real humans in the whole, you know, bot battle fight that he was in. And then uh, one of his investors, uh, Alex uh, Alexander Tomas, was involved with this. What they're going to end up telling you is to get around that and not have to click those annoying buttons all the time, again, selling you convenience, is that you are going to provide basically biometric data and or you're going to have a digital ID or a one world ID similar to Bill Gates ID 2020 project so that you are constantly being monitored and so when you go on the internet instead of being tracked through an ip address everything will be tracked through your digital id or your digital biometric so that's part of what i believe they're doing they're in the you know sort of problem reaction solution scenario create the problem of identity theft and privacy provoke the reaction what are you going to do about it create the solution oh here's the accept cookies button then again oh the accept cookies button is annoying that becomes the problem the reaction is let's get rid of it how do we get rid of it and then the solution is well give us your biometrics and take your digital id and we can get rid of that for you so it's not annoying so it's this constant problem reaction solution loop that they have us in in the metaverse i do think what you're saying is that we have the opportunity now to reinvent some of what we've learned from the previous right. iterations of the internet um, so, you know, we're focused on enterprise and one of our, the earliest use cases is healthcare. So things like pre-surgical planning, rather than looking at a 2D screen and seeing the brain there, you can put the brain in the middle of the room and, and plan the surgical pathways. Um, certainly we don't want any advertising in, in there when they actually then take that into the operating room. Um, the world's most terrible ad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Something pops up there. Um, but I, I think that we have the opportunity to reinvent and we should explore all those things now uh, right. it, because of what we've learned in the past from you know the right. the trajectories we've taken to date so so there is a Right, so she was just talking about a medical application for her product, similar to uh, Iron Man, if you ever watched that movie, when he just uses his hands to, uh, I don't know, lift up a model of the city and he can spin it around in real time. She's talking about using that same technology in operating rooms. So you'll be laying in the operating bed if you dare go to the hospital and your doctor will be doing a heart surgery on you. God forbid, I hope that doesn't happen to any of you. And then he will... Zoom up your heart into the air as a giant hologram and spin it around and start figuring out how the surgery will take place. Oh, yes. I cannot wait for this world. The thing, when you go to university, you have this orientation class. You get oriented into what is expected for, uh, from your university and, and what you should do. You get that at work. You get that in life in general. You don't get that when you use the internet. So most people are ignorant to what the trade-off is. And that's why we have these problems of I did not know that I'm giving this much information and this is how it's going to be used against me to uh, monetize, right? There needs to be a way for us to orient people. Uh, okay, let me pause there for a minute. Not just to monetize, okay? Don't ever fall into the trap of believing that all the data they're collecting is just to monetize, all right? It's not just to monetize. Yes, people even at the level of these people who are sitting on the panel, get paid okay money so they operate on the greed of the food coupons so they're out there building this pitching this stuff because 
they are getting paid to do it. But it's not just about money because as you've seen, the people behind these companies heavily connected to the CIA and other government agencies, it's not just about money. This is about power and this is about control. And for some at the level of Yuval Noah Harari, the king philosopher of the World Economic Forum, right-hand man to Klaus Schwab, and those type of people who actually believe, you know, Peter Thiel, I believe, Elon Musk, and others, who actually believe they're going to transcend to this God status because they control all the data on everyone. As this gentleman just said, will the data be used against you? And then he switched what he was saying and said used against you for, like, ad monetization. But no, it's also used against you because this data is all part of what is going to program your personalized lifestyle. It will decide when your smart city apartment door unlocks, when you're allowed to start up your EV car, when you're allowed to use your tokens to buy groceries, or whether you're going to have to be forced to use a 3D meat printer. So the data is about control. That's why Yuval Noah Harari and these others have said that data is this new gold, and those who control the data will be the gods of the new era. It's not talking about people who run video games within the metaverse, because if 90% of people just don't play video games in the metaverse, then the data doesn't matter to 90% of us who don't play video games, right? Well, no, it's bigger than that. They're going to be collecting the data at all times, and that's going to be used against you to control you and so that they can have power over you. Believe me on that. On what it means first to go to the digital world, not even the metaverse. What it means to use the internet. And this should be something that is in basic education in every single school in the world. Because you need to understand that, okay, you can manage your cookies. You can remove certain things that you don't get targeted. There are ways for you to actually pay and get that service if there is, if that becomes a business model. And then it becomes the person's choice. If the person says, I actually like it the way that it is right now, I go for it for free, and they can monetize everything from me, then it's a personal choice. Today, people do not have the right for information. They do not understand what is happening and how they're playing a role. They don't have, in, in many countries, maybe in Europe they do, but uh, and probably in the UAE, the right of access, to access their data and to understand what is being collected and the right to be forgotten, these rights uh, in that way. This needs to happen today for the digital world first and then get implemented into the metaverse. Right. Because I completely agree with the points being made. Certain business models made sense for the internet and social media. For the metaverse, we need to actually take them to the next level. Okay, so he's talking about the rights that some of them have in the UAE, United Arab Emirates, or in the EU, to look at all the data that's being collected on them and then the right to be forgotten, like it clears the data that's collected on you. I've done some research into this. I don't actually believe it. Um, I, I may break it down in the future for you uh, on the research and investigation I've done on it at this point. It it doesn't fit into what we're doing, but we will eventually touch on it because to me, it is understanding the data that's collected on you, but one of the ways you can avoid this yourself is to just not participate in it. And so a lot of the things that you do that, let's say, don't directly have to do with you being able to make a living uh, right now, being able to make money and earn food coupons to put food on the table for you and your family and your children, don't take part in it. That's one way that you can exempt yourself and opt out of the system by just saying no. That's what I 
keep presenting to you if you say no do i really need the fitbit do i really need the iWatch? do i really need those you know headphones that go up into the cloud and do all these crazy things do i really need the vr goggles do i really need to play horizon worlds do i really need to be on these streaming platforms and if the answer is no then you could eliminate all of that potential data being collected on you by just saying no and opting out of their digital prison. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm Dustin Gold. This is the Dustin Gold Standard. I'm going to opt out of this prison right now for a short break. You're listening to pain.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on pain.tv. Join the discussion at pain.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on Pain.tv. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back from your digital prison. This is Dustin Gold with the Dustin Gold Standard right here on Pain.tv slash gold. Ladies and gentlemen. All right, so we are in the middle of this World Economic Forum panel discussion on the metaverse, and they are talking about privacy consumer privacy rights ladies and gentlemen when you go into prison and they stick you in a little two-man cell in a pod with say 12 cells they spy on you through the intercom system inside of your cell and so they're always collecting data on you they have a guard who's up behind a one-way mirror and they're watching you and they're always collecting data on you and so that is what it is like when you are entering not just the metaverse but you're entering the internet and now when you're actually entering the real world because if you go walk down the street right now Almost every other home in America has an Amazon Ring doorbell or Amazon Ring camera system or the equivalent coming from Google, Facebook, other of these tech companies. And so they are tracking and monitoring and collecting data on us all of the time. And for them to even say, well, you're going to own that data. Oh, really? So every night I'm going to go home. I'm going to open up an app. And I'm going to see the 627,000 times you scanned my face throughout the day. When I drove around, uh, you were scanning my card, my license plate. When I walked down the street, the doorbells were scanning my face. All the data collected on me. I'm going to own that data. And I could just go in there and opt out of being... uh, watched and spied on and surveilled and uh, oh oh that one's fine when my neighbor picked up my face but hold on oh what's this one at the grocery store a camera caught me itching my crotch okay no delete that one right like you're gonna have time every day at the end of the night to go through all the times in the real world the natural world in which you were surveilled and data was collected on you and then you're going to go through another set of everything that was collected on you while you were on your phone or you were browsing the internet or playing a game or you know using your store bonus cards and then you're going to go through one on the metaverse oh, i was in the metaverse oh they collected all this data on me let me clear that out See, what they're even talking about is such a lie because it's frankly impossible. I would love to know if there's an expert out there. 
on this. How many data points are collected on the average American? And maybe we'd break that down by if you live in a city, live in the suburbs, or live in a rural area. How many data points are you adding to your digital footprint every day? And that will tell you the data that they are collecting And then you'll realize, even if they wanted, even if the prison wardens wanted to let you opt out of having data collected on you, or opt out of being surveilled, or be able to clear the cache, you know, delete these files, these data packets that get stored in your, you know, uh, police jacket, your police file, you know, it, it would frankly be impossible. So these guys are just talking out of their rear ends at this point. But let's continue. Can I ask you all a question? Um, I think one of the great opportunities for the metaverse potentially uh, could be around issues around education and ultimately could solve issues of inequality. But I was talking to a fellow last night uh, who made a very compelling uh, argument to me. I don't think I personally agreed with it, but I was fascinated by it. Uh, and he said, look, there's going to be people... Um, of means who are going to travel, and then there's going to be people maybe who are of lesser means who might actually be able to use an, an Oculus or uh, a Magic Leap or some other kind of device uh, to travel to the same place but from their own, their own couch. But in many ways, it's actually going to create even more distance. Between okay, this is actually a good question. Let's see how they answer this. Between those, the, 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 those two people that, that psychologically, and I think that We've experienced this through social media. In many ways, it's brought people closer in certain ways, but actually created this remarkable divide because there's, it's even more visible, actually, the divide in certain ways. And how you all think about that? Well, I mean, I can see- I know that's a little deep, but- <laughs> no, well, they're like, ah, we're transhumanists. We're not even human. Uh, how could we answer that? I mean, it's okay. I think it's one of the central kinds of questions we need to be asking. We need to be studying and we need to be understanding. I mean, at the core, I think good technologies help us feel closer. And the key... Good technologies help us feel closer. But do they really make humans closer? Or do they really make humans further apart? That's a good question. Do you feel closer to your aunt because you can chat with her on Facebook Messenger And therefore, in 10 years, 20 years, your life, you've never actually now made the conscious decision to save up a few dollars to travel, to go see your aunt in person, to give her a hug, a kiss on the cheek, spend a couple of days with her, talk to her, look at old photo albums from the family, because you just Zoomed with her one night. I mean, is it driving humans further apart or is it actually bringing humans together? That's an interesting question. I don't really know the answer. I think each of you have to ask that question, you know, to yourselves because we're all going to have different answers on that. There is no right answer. The the premise of the smartphone, the premise of the Internet at some level, at its its absolute most sort of primitive level, is is a democratizing force. It provides tools. It provides power for people. It especially provides tools for connection for people who cannot travel. Uh, and we've seen some of the most powerful examples of how the internet has changed healthcare, has offered access to uh, a cataract exam, has offered access to a bank account, uh, has offered access to um, education on almost any issue. 
is, is just a really powerful idea, and I think it needs to be one we don't lose sight of. Yeah. Uh, I, I think... No, no, no. When, when he talks about access to the bank account, I would disagree with that. Uh, you could go to the bank if you lived in an area that did not have a bank. You didn't need one. <laughs> Because you kept your cash and the government left you alone. But uh, no, I mean, those things that he brings up, access to education, well, there's education that you could have sought out on your own. Uh, the, the way that I look at the internet as someone who's 41 and was the last generation to grow up without the internet in my pocket, uh, iPhones didn't come out until I believe I was in my 20s. And so I had, uh, my first phone was a flip phone I bought when I went to college so that I could call my parents if I needed anything. And so, in my opinion, uh, he says technology, phones, and this are a democratizing force. I would say it's actually worked opposite. There are less people that are paying attention to what is going on at a local level less involved with their local governments, less involved with their communities, don't even know their neighbors. Uh, I know so many people, friends of ours, don't even know their neighbors, don't even know their neighbors' first names. And so when I grew up as a kid, I lived on a cul-de-sac, and we had a block party. The old folks in the neighborhood would throw block parties a couple times a summer, and everyone knew each other. There was about 30 houses on my street. I knew every single person that lived on my street. And if there was an emergency because we didn't have cell phones and maybe my dad hadn't come home from a job or my mom got stuck at work and uh, I couldn't get in the house because I forgot my key or something like that. Yes, I was a latchkey kid. Um, I could go knock on anyone's door on my street and they would let me come in and hang out with them. They would make me food. They'd let me play with their dog. I could sit there and do my homework. And so I think the internet these false relationships, fake relationships we have with people on social media who, yes, you may build up a friendship over the phone with them and such. Yes, that is true. But instead of being focused on our neighbors, on our neighborhood, on our town, on our county, on our state, we become focused, a lot of people have, on solving the world's problems. You just saw Russia, Ukraine kicks off, and before you know it, everybody has a Ukraine flag next to their face, you know, as an emoji on their Facebook profile picture, their Twitter avatar and such. And so then all of a sudden, everyone becomes this fighter for freedom in Ukraine, Russia, and nobody actually knows what's going on in uh, Ukraine or with Russia that doesn't live there. And even the people that live there don't really know what's going on. Think of all the people around you right here in the country that you wish were listening to the Thomas Paine podcast or listening to the Dust and Gold Standard because you feel like they don't actually know what's going on here, yet they live right here in this country. And so that's what I think it's done. It's actually driven people towards this false sense that they could solve the world's problems through a tweet. They could uh, voice their grievances through a Facebook rant. They could change the outcomes of situations through an emoji or a meme. And so we've lost that human connection. And your life, your world would be a lot better if you were actively involved with your neighbors, your neighborhood, your community, your uh, uh, town and your county, because you'd be active in the government's 
and you would be taking part in building a better community and being able to fight off the powers of the state, fight off the powers of the federal government because you were organized. But now when you go to even a local political meeting, a Republican committee meeting or Democrat committee meeting or independent party, whatever it is, it doesn't really matter. You go there and they end up spending uh, 95% of the time talking about Donald Trump or Joe Biden instead of talking about what is actually going on locally, where the majority of the problems come from. And if the local governments, your local community were organized, you wouldn't have to be on the internet. I frankly wouldn't have to be here, you know, talking to all of you guys you know they've created this global system in which now people like myself people like mike people like maria albanese vm legal man feel like we have to talk to this bigger audience because we're all sharing similar problems now and that's because we're all run from the starship we're all controlled by the uh committees out of washington dc or these international bodies like the world economic forum and so now we're stuck and pushed into a situation where we have to try to talk to the whole country to the whole world so i would argue that the internet social media all of this stuff mass communication is actually uh was actually bad for humanity i would argue that if i could snap my fingers today and we went back to the 1980s and all of this stuff disappeared all this technology all of this mass communication was gone i think the world was a better place to be honest with you okay let's continue um it is true at first but with economies of scale, while you scale up the actual product or the platform, with time, more and more people actually come on board. So ultimately, I don't think it's going to be a problem. Maybe in the beginning, the initial stages, it will. But there are a, a few uh, very high, potentially positive impacts of this. The first is, uh, there's a statistic of, uh, you know, 70% of what you read, you forget within the first two minutes, right? It's because you don't actually experience that content. It's flat. You're reading it. Some people have better recall or better memory. Most people forget it. It's the same with video. If you can actually experience what you're learning, it sticks for much longer. And I think the same way that the internet unleashed a revolution of really improving human intelligence, democratizing knowledge, and today you have people building nuclear reactors in their backyards and they're 16 years old uh, in some cases, it's because the internet... Less sure about that one. <laughs> no, no, it's true. So, so it's true. No, it's it sure true. that's a good thing is what I was saying. No, uh, uh, well, it, it just shows you the level of intelligence that people I have to like A 16-year-old kid has the level of intelligence of what a PhD in the 60s would take 20 years to study and achieve. So these things are positive. And I think that this will actually lead to a better future. There's also a lot more understanding that can be incorporated into the metaverse. There are people who have never traveled in their lives, in the US, in China, and India, and many countries. And they've never experienced seeing an Arab country, an African country, seeing an Asian. And to some level, there's ignorance there. I think in the metaverse, you can actually go and live in their houses, like in the metaverse, and see yeah. their culture and be a lot more understanding. So these are the positives. Okay, so what he's saying is that in the metaverse, everyone will be Anthony Bourdain. You will travel 
to Africa and spend time in a mud hut or whatever, and that will make you more educated and a better person. But as I just said before, if we lived, if, if we shrunk down the world, if you shrunk your footprint and you were focused on the things that actually matter, on your family, your household, your neighbors, your neighborhood, your community, your town, your county, the world would be a better place. See, I don't really have to know, nor would I have to know about Africa or about a European country if the world was not interconnected under this global government, under this global prison planet, all connected via the internet. We wouldn't need to know about what goes on halfway around the world because your world is your community and your community would be a stronger, safer place because everyone in your community would be working together to make that community a stronger, safer place. But see, the whole idea was to create a global government and then waste your time, distract you with all of these problems. Everything is already like an augmented reality headset. Everywhere you turn, they have little intelligent data packets popping up as they say. Problem in Ukraine, problem in Russia, problem in North Korea, problem in Japan, problem in Germany, problem Problem over here, problem over there, problem in California, problem in Connecticut, problem in D.C., problem over here, wildfire, earthquake, waterfall overflow. You see, it's everywhere, everywhere, everywhere. Now, if I'm in the state of Maryland and Texas has a deep freeze that shuts down their windmills, how is that my problem? Why should I be concerned? Why should I have to spend my time worrying about the people in Texas? And then the people in Texas, all of them aren't affected by the problem, but me not being there doesn't even know about which parts of texas are affected but yet now it's my global duty and responsibility because the technocrats say to say so to know and feel feel compassion for these people that are affected in these areas and when something happens to me here in maryland what if they close my road for construction and i have to drive an extra half mile around the traffic circle to get back home that's supposed to be a story that some guy in nigeria is supposed to be concerned about and they go listen guy in nigeria you're not concerned about dustin over there in frederick maryland and the fact that his road was closed and he had to drive out of the way to get back home see they create this interconnected global world and then tell you that you need to know everything that's going on folks that's what the metaverse is going to be they want you to immerse yourself into this space where they tell you you're just going to constantly learn you're going to constantly expand your mind when are you ever going to focus on your family when are you ever going to focus on just you when are you going to focus on how you want to live your life how you want to retire they are just bombarding you bombarding you bombarding you with endless useless information and they're going to force you into this endless fake synthetic world they call the metaverse and tell you that it's your responsibility to understand 
everything that's going on in there expand your mind jump into the metaverse forever let's go back in time and march with martin luther king let's go back in time and run around with Genghis khan no folks they're building a prison planet and they're attempting to distract you and me with useless 4d universal studio rides that's what it is folks it's a ride they want to put your mind into the ride they're going to send you into the matrix so they can hijack and steal the natural world around us. God forbid you own a piece of land with two, three acres and have your own gardens, grow your own vegetables, and you want to just live a simple life, a hard life, a tough life, because it's tough work to do that, but a simple life where right inside those three acres, that fence you have around your property, that's your world. Your spouse is your responsibility. Your child is your responsibility. Your grandchildren are your responsibility. That's what you're supposed to take care of, but they want to force you into some digital prison cell and they want to take that piece of land away from you and tell you that if you want to contribute to society you have to live in a 400 square foot pod cell smart city apartment strap on a vr headset and go visit some mud hut down in ecuador or you are not a compassionate human being these are the transhumanists who want to end humanity who want to engineer us out of existence that's who is telling you this that's who these people are i mean come on folks you can hear it coming right out of their mouths they believe they're above you they believe they own you and they believe that it's going to be easy to load us into the cattle car and drive us right in to the auschwitz metaverse well i'm not having any of it ladies and gentlemen because i will just say no okay we will be back tomorrow this was a short show today but i have to go to birthing class with my wife ladies and gentlemen i'll see you tomorrow we'll finish up this video and we we will start jumping into Joe Biden's executive order having to do with biotech and genetic modification. Oh, yay. Sounds like a whole lot of fun. Listen, folks, join us over at pain.tv slash gold. This is Dustin Gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard right here on pain.tv slash gold. The Matrix is a computer-generated dream world built to keep us under control in order to change a human being. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on Ping.tv. Join the discussion at Ping.tv slash gold.